You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I'm going to break pastor protocol for a minute and be very vulnerable. I'm in a weird mood today. And I'm very rebellious, like, and the Lord's made this a healthy version at this stage of my life, but I'm very rebellious by nature. Um, And so sometimes these moods, I have a plan to teach one thing and just want to rebel against it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I also want to give a quick disclaimer in case you've heard me coughing. I'm not contagious. So everybody take a breath. Uh, But apparently over the last couple weeks, I developed pneumonia somewhere. And that was awesome. So thanks for... uh, Anybody who knew that and prayed for me, but I'm on the tail end of that, but my voice is still quite not there and I've got a lingering cough. Uh, so bear with me this morning if that comes out, but I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you that you are who you are, no matter who we are at different times. God, that you never change, that nothing in this world could trip you up or surprise you. And God, I pray that we would know the stability of that place. God, not just in this room, but in the world to come, Father, that as the message of the kingdom expands, that humanity would find a stable place in the arms of a stable Father who is better than we've ever known. And God, I thank you that our greatest success in life is just to learn what it means to sit in that place and be content. And so with that, God, we we just say in this room this morning, we love you. We absolutely love you, God. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Oh, How many of you guys know God's really, really good? We sing about it. Chris talked about it this morning in the meeting, but God is so good. And I think the world struggles with a good God. Now, when I say that, I don't mean the world struggles in the sense that God is good and they don't like that about him. I mean, it's actually hard for the world to believe that he's that good. Because religion for so long sold the world a God who's emotionally unstable. Right, And when you have a God that's like that, I start to realize as a father of a four-year-old, I'm four years into my fatherhood now. Um, But sometimes I realize a lot of our church theology leaves me being a better father than him, which is not true, right? But for so long, we've painted the picture of a father who's so emotionally unstable, depending on what mood he's in. He's angry sometimes. He loves you, but he doesn't like you. He tolerates us. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because the goodness of God is way more good than we can fathom. And the beauty of that is, his goodness has never been based on you anyway. Therefore, it won't be hijacked by you. Amen? 
So the sooner humanity learns to lean into it and embrace it, the sooner humanity figures out who, who, who humanity's been the entire time to the Father, who happens to be very good. Now, when I say that, this is the rebellious part of me because I know sometimes we hear, man, God is good and he's full of grace and mercy. And we instantly want to balance that with the angry side of God or the fear of the Lord and misinterpretations of things that we see in Scripture. But how many of you guys know there's a healthy fear of the Lord? But the fear of the Lord is not I'm afraid of my dad because when he gets home, he's going to beat me. Right? Um, that's so much of the gospel that is, has plagued the world is this false gospel that God's coming back to just smite you because he's so emotionally unstable and he needs revenge on you because you couldn't perform well enough. Do you, I mean, when we say it like that, it seems so obvious that it's just not who an infinite God would be. But yet we still tend to live in this place where we don't fully really embrace the goodness of God. Now, I want to talk about the kindness of God a little bit this morning. And let me say this also too. There's this when I think about, like, I've got so many friends who over the last 10 years have gone through a deconstruction movement. And some of those, it wasn't just deconstruction, it was deconversion. And the common theme when I talk with these guys, and many of these were pastors, um, is they're struggling because they're looking for a good God. And the world's always with that tension of, man, if God is so good, then how is the world messed up. If God is so good, then why is he trying to beat us up and stuff? And it is this common theme, unfortunately, because we've sold the world a false gospel. But God is good. Can we all agree? Amen. Say he's good. Say he's better than I thought. Now say something. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> say something. I'm going to tell you this story. This guy one time went to a restaurant and it was TGI Friday's. Um, they're sponsoring this message. And he goes, and um, it was Friday, so that's why he went. And he goes, and it's the worst experience of his life. Waitress comes out, and she is not a good God. She is an angry lady, okay? Just clearly having a horrible day, mad at the world, worst service he's ever had. Food was terrible. No drink refills. You know, like all the stuff... Uh, Southern Christians get mad about on Sunday after church. And he goes, and it's just like the worst thing that could have happened, right? And she, she's miserable, like to the point she just, she's not even there. Like something is going on in her life, or she just hates it that much, or just hated him that much. I, it's, it's maybe all of the above. But it's the worst experience of his life in a restaurant. And something, you know, in those moments where you, uh, we do this thing at a restaurant, many of you know, where we tip those who waited on us, right? And usually the tip's kind of a percentage, but oftentimes if we're honest, we're grading performance, right? So if they're really good, you leave a what? Bigger tip, right? Uh, no one's admitting to this. Uh, but if they're horrible, what's, what's your temptation? withhold some money right well this is one of those moments where he could have done the southern christian thing which is leave her one of those hundred dollar bills and it looks cool and you wad it up and then they open it up and it says romans 323 on the back ah that's horrible that's like yeah that, those are the times i think god should be ang like mad at us in the in the wrong way the unhealthy way 
But anyway, something in this guy clicks and he says, you know what? This is the worst waitress I've ever had in my life and she doesn't deserve a tip. And in his heart, decides, I'm going to tip this lady a $100 bill. So he puts a $100 bill on the table, leaves, goes to his car. And before he could make it to the car, this waitress comes out in tears in massive gratitude, just saying, thank you so much. You have no idea. And this lady who was grumpy, uh, grump, grumpy, grumpy, it's the pneumonia, uh, grumpy, mad at the world, having a horrible day, all of a sudden everything about her has changed. Because that's what goodness does. Right? Let's read this passage, and I'll go ahead and admit this is a little cherry picking. It's still in context, but uh, Paul is certainly talking about the judgment and the wrath of the Lord and basically saying, hey, don't judge lest you be judged. You uh, take this kind of good God moment for granted, and Paul's full of that. But I want to encourage you to, when you read Romans, don't just read a couple chapters, read the whole uh, passage because Paul's taking them on a journey. But it says this, and here's the principle. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. This word kindness can be translated several ways. One of those is goodness. In fact, I think King James says goodness. But it's the goodness and the kindness of God that causes change. Now, the, the, the popular gospel is we, we try to force change on the ear of a believer so that they will be accepted by the Father. It's wrong. It's backwards. He doesn't require change to accept you. He already accepts you. And when you understand how good he is and how kind he is and how he feels about you, it does something on your life, in your heart, in your mind. It permeates your being in a way that self-help and effort never could. And it causes you to want to follow him out to the car in tears and say, thank you. You have no idea. Because that's what goodness does. His kindness leads us to a supernatural level of repentance that we couldn't do on our own if we wanted to. Which means if I really want to change, and this is so much of the performance-driven gospel, is self-help, self-change, self-preservation, managing the flesh. If we really want to do that, he's telling you can't do that without a revelation of how good he is. So you can know the Father, but knowing him the wrong way leaves you unchanged. But knowing the Father the way that He is calls you into this place of being a son or a daughter and takes so much effort out of the equation. Let me balance this. I believe we are responsible for our journey. I don't believe in a lazy gospel where we're just like, man, God's good. I don't have to do anything. No, there's certain things we take responsibility for. The Scripture's full of that. But I don't have the anointing nor the uh, power to do so without a revelation of who He is. It's always a partnership based on what he's like. But this guy gave someone something they did not deserve. And it caused her to repent. It caused her to change her whole atmosphere. And I can only imagine, we don't know how it played out, but I can only imagine because of what happened to her in that moment, her next five tables that night had a different experience. Maybe not. Maybe she was mad about a hundred bucks, but it didn't seem that way. 
Because when we change, that's how the kingdoms unlock to the world around us. It's so important that we are drawn to him in the way that he's drawing us. But it was kindness that led to change. Now, this is, the, I'll try to not go on a soapbox, but this is the part that I get angry about. I am angry and I'm furious that the world has gotten a version of God that is performance based. That has basically, I'll sum it up this way, basically said, hey, you don't deserve God. You're not acting right. You're not waiting at the table well enough. You're not performing the way that you should. And how much sense does it make? Let's categorize this between believers and quote non-believers. How much sense does it make for my evangelism model to go into a world who's non-believing anyway and shout at them Ten Commandments that they don't even care about anyway and talk about a God that they don't even believe in anyway and then ask them to change their behavior? And then wonder why the world's a bad place and the world's going to hell. When the truth is, we're the ones who sent them there most of the time, right? How much sense does it make to approach the world based on their performance? It doesn't because you don't see Jesus do this anywhere. In fact, remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, the world didn't deserve a tip, but he came and gave it anyway. Right. In fact, the Bible, I think I gave you guys this verse, it says this in Romans 5, 8. That's why you got to keep reading Romans because it gets amazing. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Check this out. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If I sound out of breath, it's not because I'm excited. It's because I can't breathe. Also, if I fall off the stage, please catch me. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you're you're seeing through Jesus the full view of what the Father has always been like, right? And so when Jesus does something, it's revealing the heart of God, not just man's interpretation of the heart of God or how they've known God through the filter of their own fallen nature. And here's what we do so often is we reduce his personality to our own. And so I think, man, God's angry like me. Well, God's anger is not like your anger. My anger is broken. My anger is out of whack. So when God's angry, you can have a healthy anger. Because I believe God's angry at the right things when he's angry. But I also believe what I think about God's anger is nothing about how I perceive anger in my emotional life. Amen. God's love is better than my love. And I'll never know how to truly love without embracing and having a revelation of his version of it. But we have spent so much time going into the world preaching a God who is interacting with humanity based on performance. But that is not what Jesus modeled. While we were sinners, he tipped us. He gave us what we didn't deserve so that through his goodness and his kindness, we would get a revelation of what he's actually like and come running after him in the parking lot and say, you understand the salvation experience is just us catching up to the goodness of God. We sell it often as fear because fear gets attention, right? Um, But it's only when we really see the goodness of God. That repentance happens. That the heart, the mind start to catch up. 
It starts to be transformed because of what he's always been like. I can only imagine what what's going on in that, that girl's life. The stories that we don't have the narrative for and historical context for, yet we can sometimes be so quick to judge and not extend value to. But in one moment of kindness, everything shifted quickly. Because God is really, really good. Amen. I want to read the story of the prodigal. I'm going to read the whole thing this morning um, because I can't breathe and I want to challenge myself. It's Luke 15. It's one of my favorite stories and there's so many things contextually we could unpack and teach out of this, but I want to highlight just a few thoughts. Luke 15, 11, it says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I always thought that was interesting, like no one gave, was he talking about the pigs? Wouldn't give him anything? But verse 17, here's, here's a pivot. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back. And I'll say to my father, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's got this recognition that, hey, I kind of, I kind of butchered this. I took all this value and this thing that my father worked to give me and I kind of wasted it and I've kind of turned my back on how I, maybe how he was raised. I don't know what he's processing in his thoughts, but he's coming to this realization that He's not waiting the table well, right? He's kind of like, I kind of butchered this. So in humility, I'm going to go back to the father and say, hey, own it. Dad messed it up. Sorry. And I don't expect to come back in here as a son and have a share or another inheritance. I blew it. I get it. But let me just come and serve. Let me just come and be a hired hand on the farm and that will be fine for me. Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I don't know about all that, but he did it. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. This is his strategy, right? Father, his prepared speech, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, here's the problem. This is probably what he thought the father wanted to hear. This was his version of repentance, but it wasn't necessarily the father's. Amen? So here's a speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And here's my confession. I'm no longer, because of this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
would you just hire me as a servant? Kind of a fair deal. Verse 22, I love this part. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is telling this parable. Jesus knows the fullness of the Father. Jesus has a full, complete view of what the Father is actually like. So when Jesus conceals things in a parable, he is revealing this is what God is like and what he's always been like. He's trying to reveal to humanity who's trying to fix their behavior or make it into heaven or get a certain way of acting or some way to appease God. He's trying to tell them the right way there by revealing who the father actually is this is jesus story about a father keep reading where'd i go they begin to celebrate verse 25 <coughs> amen meanwhile the older son it's kind of got that like sneaky preacher thing coming up though doesn't it does it sound raspy to you guys i think my preacher voice is coming in yeah Ah, man, preacher puberty's long for me. I've been in ministry a long time. Still don't have it. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and said, Hey, what's going on? 27, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go to the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. He answered, Father, look, uh, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so me and my friends could celebrate. How weird. I don't know how many guys are like, man, God, just please give me a goat to celebrate. Like, who's sitting around eating goat, too? I don't know. These stories are interesting. Thank God for... Whataburger and stuff in our generation. Where'd I go? Verse 30. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And here's the father's response. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother that was dead and is alive again, he was lost and now he's found. So the father's celebrating. When it comes to this journey of faith, this journey of knowing God, this journey of coming and being a son or a daughter, it starts when we come to our senses about who the father is. Now, the truth is, this guy was always a son. He had just changed locations. He was always who he was by birth, but now he was in a different position. And when you allow what position you're in to become your condition, you want to come back through a religious channel and say, God, I'm not worthy. Let me just serve. And as humble and noble as that seems sometimes, that's not what God called us to be. 
That's not where we're created to be. We're not called to be hired hands in the house of the Father. We are the sons and daughters of the living God. But until we come to our senses about who the Father is, we'll be out of position. So the Bible says he comes to his senses about who his father was. He starts to come up with this strategy about how to get to the father. Now, hey, God, you know, I'm at, or not God, but father, I messed up. I, you know, it's, it's on me. Let me just serve. But this revelation that you have a father is what starts the journey home. The, tra- the tragedy is he identified through his, quote, sin He identified himself as that. So now, in his mind, he's reduced himself from being a son to being a servant. Let me say it like this. He's no longer a son. He's now a waiter. He's a waiter that's got to make sure he refills his drinks. Make sure that the food comes out hot. Make sure that it all comes out. I don't know what waiters do, but this is what I think they're supposed to do. They they put a smile on their face. They take care of the tables. One of those waiters that's got to really serve and make sure that God is pleased with the service so that they've got food to eat. And so because he's identified himself with what he's gone through instead of who he actually is, now he's no longer functioning as a son. He's functioning and embracing the identity of a servant and a waiter. And isn't this the scandal of religion? That instead of raising up sons and daughters, we've raised up a wait staff. Right? That we've said, man, we've got to do all the right little things. We've got to, you know, really appease the father because at any moment he could fly off the hinges. He's emotionally unstable, remember? And at any moment, all of your good will be out the window for one moment, one scratch of getting it wrong, man. If that steak is not cooked right, God is going to get you. Here's the beauty and the difference between an angry father and a good father. And again, I'm going to qualify this. You don't run out of here thinking I'm just cherry picking out of context scripture. Is there a righteous anger of God? Of course. It just can't be interpreted through our broken human version of anger. And that's what we do. We reduce our theology to the level of our struggle. But that's not who he is. That's who I am. He is so much better than I am. But the difference between an angry father and a good father is in verse number, let me find it. Twenty-two. The son says, Hey father, I've sinned, I've ruined everything. Let me come back and be in servant. Here's the father's immediate response. Immediate response. But the father said to his servants, Quick, go get A robe, a ring, some sandals, kill a cow, let's celebrate. Here's what's amazing to me. The father didn't even respond to the son's narrative about his own condition. He treated him according to the condition the father always wanted for his son. In other words, he didn't tip him what he deserved. He gave him what he didn't deserve. He dressed him as a son and didn't even acknowledge his confession as being something less. That's the difference between an angry, quote angry, 
God and a good God. An angry father who's unstable and a good father. Is he didn't punish the prodigal. Here's the, here's the mystery about judgment. The father knows that he doesn't have to, like, he didn't have to punish the prodigal because the journey was punishment enough. Losing everything that you had, eating with the swine, being hungry, working for someone of a different culture, which technically probably would have been interpreted as kind of an enemy. It's like, hey, we're God's people. Now we're working for the other guys. We're in bondage to this other side. He's, he understood. I mean, that's punishment enough. Because the reality is so many of the things that we go through are self-judgment issues. They're not God throwing a rock at you. I'm throwing rocks at myself all the time. He doesn't need to punish me for what I've already punished myself for. But punished or not punished, no matter what our mentality is, the second we come running home, he comes running for us. And a good father doesn't even acknowledge your identity as a servant. He only responds to you as a son. Hmm. And there's the infamous older brother. And the older brother, he's kind of, you know, probably a good guy, but a butthead, you know. He means well, he's zealous. He's crushed it, you know, like righteous. And again, typology here, these are the Israelites. They think they're crushing. Pharisees are crushing it. But it's such a religious spirit because he's at home the entire time, but never fully knowing who the father is. In fact, he stayed in the father's house. He's under the canopy of the father's stuff. He's got all of his inheritance. Everything the father had, he had access to, but was never living in it because he actually never really knew what the father was like, even though he lived right in the middle of his living room. See, this is what's crazy to me is sometimes it's harder for the church world to know what the Father's like. It's easier for a prostitute to come to Jesus because of goodness. But us to sometimes stay in the house the entire time and never, quote, screw it up. It's harder for us to embrace the goodness of God because we're so used to waiting on his table. And I'm not saying we don't serve the Lord. Please don't uh, get stuck in semantics. Of course we do, but we don't serve him as a slave we serve him as sons and daughters amen but the older brother struggles he's never moved out of position and here's what's fascinating about the older brother he was confused by the father's goodness toward the other son he was confused uh, I promise I share these stories. You're going to think all I do is watch YouTube. Um, YouTube is one of the greatest voices of our generation. <coughs> That's how I found out I had pneumonia. No, I'm just kidding. I went to the, do- I went to the doctor. <laughs> you ever watch one of those like YouTube videos where somebody's trying to do really nice stuff? Like They'll have like 500 bucks. Sometimes 1,000. 
And they'll go up to people on the street and be like, hey, how you doing? And they'll bait and switch them somehow. Sometimes they'll test them. But they're secretly just, you know, obviously trying to get a reaction for a YouTube video. But they're, they're going to bless somebody that's kindness, that's goodness, right? And they'll go up to somebody, somebody, and it's amazing to me how many people are just loaded and ready to fight all the time. Don't believe me, go watch some of these videos. They'll walk up and say, hey, how you doing today? And they're just like this, like just, what do you mean how am I doing? Like, so suspicious. You know, now, southern culture, we, different vibes, but you're like in New Jersey, you don't say hey to people on the street, right? They back up and ready to, ready to throw hands, you know, like... For no reason with someone they don't know, nor know why they're saying hello. But I saw a video, these guys would go up and they'll be like, hey, how you doing? And people are ready to fight and they're mad at them. They're so suspicious. Until 500 bucks comes out. Because five Benjamins speak louder than words. And as soon as they say, hey, I just want to give you 500 bucks. Or maybe it was an iPod or a whatever. But they bless them with this crazy thing that obviously they didn't deserve based on their reaction. But they bless them. And immediately they go from Rocky Four to Powder Puff Girl. And like, oh my gosh. You have no idea. It always comes to these you have no idea statements. Like you don't know what I've been going through. And immediate this anger, the suspicious... Uh, kind of persona is completely disarmed by goodness and kindness that they didn't deserve. Isn't that fascinating? That's just in the world YouTube video. How much better is it when people have a revelation of the goodness of God who tips us, not based on performance, but based on worth? See, at some point, the older brother has to come to this realization that the father's way better than he's ever realized. Because here's the thing that we can't do. We'll never fully, like, let me say it like this. We cannot fully live in the goodness of God if we're always paranoid of it. We teach sometimes theologically that, man, God's good, but he ain't that good. Or we try to balance his goodness with some measure of self-performance and tether ourselves to some kind of paranoia of, hmm. I think Chris mentioned something this morning about the prosperity gospel. Uh, because what, the truth is sometimes we, we do get out of balance. We, we make it about so many things that it's not. And that conviction kind of reels our heart back in. But sometimes we're so paranoid of God's goodness. Because we just don't understand it. We don't recognize it. And we become suspicious of it. Can I tell you, if you're ever suspicious of the grace of God, you're in trouble. Not from him, from you. He's not going to punish you. You're punishing yourself by living in his house and not even knowing how to partake of all that he has for you. You understand the older brother could have been celebrating and eating as many goats as he wanted to. That's disgusting. But he could have been in a lifestyle of celebration the entire time. But he didn't know what the father was even like. Mm. It's impossible to truly know the father or kick that without knowing his goodness. 
But if we're going to know his goodness, we can't be so paranoid of it. That we came in taste. Like the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our dog right now does not trust us. And I think it's because he was sick a few years ago. And we had to give him these giant antibiotics. And we'd wrap him up in food. And he figured it out. And he would eat the food. And then we'd walk over in this giant... I mean, the pill was like this big. So I don't blame the guy at all. But he figured out how to you know, discard the pill and keep the food. And so ever since then, when I, th- I threw him a piece of steak last night. And I'm like, here, dude. I throw it to him. He turns his head, smacks him in the face. He doesn't trust me. And so how are you going to taste and see that the Lord is good if you don't actually trust him based on his goodness? Right? God's not trying to bait and switch us into some delayed punishment. God is actually as good as Jesus portrayed him to be. Amen? And the truth is, Jesus is better than most of our church theology. Amen? Keep going and then I'm done because I'm out of breath. Let me, let me say it like this. A revelation of the Father will get you home. But a revelation of His goodness is what makes you feel welcome there. Amen. A revelation of His goodness is what makes you feel like you belong. And Paul wrote uh, kind of in a backdoor sense about this when he said, Come boldly to the throne of grace. With confidence, he says in other translations. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Why is he having to say that? Because there's people who are confessing, man, God's embraced us because they're having a revelation of the gospel. But they don't actually feel like they belong enough that they can go in the Father's room and sit down in the chair with him. Without a revelation of his goodness, we can be in his house but not feel like a son. Make it a little practical and then we'll pray. What if our approach to the world is kindness and goodness based? Like the guy who left the tip. Like the guy on YouTube. What if our approach to the world is not based on their performance, but based on their worth? And when I say that, I'm not talking about corporate America worth, where your worth is based on your performance, what you're worth to a company. I'm talking about what are they worth to the Father. Because here's what's true. A waitress with a bad day who butchered it is worth a heck of a lot more to him than he is to my mood, to my frustration. And when I can tap into what people are worth to the Father, it's easier to tip them what they don't deserve because I'm not tipping them based on performance. I'm tipping them based on worth. And when that kind of kindness leads, that kind of kindness leads us to change, to repentance. It starts to mechanize something that first grips the heart and later the mind catches up, but it starts to draw us back to the Father in a way that focusing on our faults never will. Amen. A couple verses. I didn't put these up there, Chris, so I'm sorry, but I'm just going to read them. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Isn't that funny? He's telling us to do this, yet sometimes we portray this as the Father's mad at everybody and he's got rage and anger and bitterness, and when he gets back, you're in trouble. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. So stop brawling, some of you guys. Along with every form of malice, be kind 
It's another place that word is translate, uh, translated the kindness of the Lord. Another place I'm reminded that, uh, that goodness word is translated is when Jesus says, come to me, my yoke is easy. That word easy is the same word for the kindness of the Lord. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ, God, forgave you. In other words, a revelation of him to me is what empowers me to extend kindness to you. Another one, Luke 6, 35-36. But love your enemies. <laughs> Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. Now, here's the amazing thing. When this guy tips the waitress and she comes out, not only is her heart uh, captivated and, and influenced, but also the tipper has a changed heart. Because now he's seen what goodness can do. And when you see what goodness can do, it becomes contagious. And when it becomes contagious, it becomes the way that we are in the world. And starts to bring change around us. It says, then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Gosh, this is so backwards from the gospel I grew up. I don't know about you guys, but the one I grew up with. Backwards. He wasn't kind to the wicked. Come on. And here it is saying, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You understand this, and I'm going to pray. God's cure for humanity started by Him leaving a tip. We could sum up every Sunday message right here and still never fathom the depth of this moment where Jesus is hanging on a cross. His own creation is the audience. He's suspended there. Everything in him. He has full authority to do whatever he wants. He can react anyway. And he's justified. He's God. He's the standard uh, of moral truth. He's the one who holds the line. He created everything. He can do whatever he wants. And it's right. But here's Jesus. The full view of the Father. Hanging there for those who don't deserve it. Who are ungrateful. Who are mocking him. Who are causing physical pain in his body. He sit the God of the universe. In an audience of his own lost prodigals. He's hanging there. And he leaves the biggest tip in history. And they don't know. And here's, here's the moment. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them because they don't know. Tip. And he leaves it and then he goes to the car. He's on his way through the parking lot for three days, about to get in the car and ascend to the Father. And no one knows until this gospel started to spread, till the message started to catch up, till the goodness of what he did started to fall on the ears who were so burnt out of being a servant in some ethereal God's house that they never knew anyway. And all of a sudden he's close and he actually loves us and he's that good. And he's so kind that he would come and give us through the death of Jesus what we didn't even deserve. And when that really hit people... They came running to the car. 
saying, oh, thank you, thank you. You know why he could do that? Because Jesus wasn't hanging there looking at their performance. The eternal God never cared whether or not you were a good waitress. He cared about you. And that tip was based on your worth to him. And so, Father, we we thank you. God, that your goodness is so vast and so deep that even on my best days, on my best days, I can't even scratch the surface. God, I thank you that no matter what anyone's story is in this room, online, or... God, I thank you that there's no story in which you're going to emotionally become unstable and grade us based on how we waited the table. God, that we sit under a God that whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, whether we're whatever we are as humanity, your worth and value for all of us is the same. And your kindness and your goodness is over all just the same. That whether we're a prodigal in the distance or a son who stayed at home, You've always been who you are. And God, I thank you that your goodness is based on you. Because that means a finite being such as myself wouldn't dare think that I could change the structure and the character of an infinite father. God, I pray that God, we would be a generation who wouldn't live in the paranoia of your goodness. That we wouldn't be suspicious of your grace. Because that is the only thing that can transform who we are. And God, I thank you that as you hung there, when you had every right. See, see guys, this, this is how you know the anger of God is a much different version than we realize. Because that was the moment all of it could have come out. But forgiveness was liquid in that space. As humanity hurled inserts and strung him there, God, I thank you that you released Kindness and goodness. Even when we had no idea. You gotta pray that our hearts would catch up, that we would meet you in that parking lot. And I pray that it would be enough, God. Let us not be a church that we get so consumed with everything but you. May we be content at home in the goodness of God learning to do life from that place God and last Father God I I pray not just the church globally God that there would just be such a breaking free of this religious rhythm where we've raised up a wait staff instead of sons and daughters God give us grace to portray who you really are through kindness that leads to repentance. 
and empower us to leave the world a tip that maybe, maybe in the flesh they don't deserve, but as a son or a daughter lost or found, they're certainly worth. And we adore you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 